This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash England. Welcome to the afternoon session on the environment. My name's Colin Patterson. I know nothing about the environment. I was brought in pretty much as quite a late replacement to chair this session. I think possibly because I had the most environmental journey here because I work at Media City UK, <laughs> which is a whole... 400 paces away from here. This morning's session was dominated pretty much by one issue, actually, which I don't think it was necessarily one that we were expecting, which was the role of corporate sponsorship and the environment. And why is it the case that the National Gallery, the Tate, the South Bank Centre are sponsored by BP and Shell? Um, organisations not really known for their environmental credentials and how much damage does that do to the artistic community of Britain when these figurehead organisations are so tied in with those organisations. Um, as, as you heard in the feedback there as well, there was t- talk as well about how we must, it's an issue that must be taken seriously and how business and arts thinks on a longer term goal than politicians who are much more in the five year cycle. So the idea of this afternoon's session is that we together are all to come up with three action points that we're to put back to Kirsty Walk, which is a sentence I've never said before in my life. And what's <laughs> going to happen then is that they're, they're going to take them away and try and work out how to act on them. In fact, I think we would suggest how they would be acted on as well. So if we have that in mind, we're going to have three action points towards the end. Um, if I could just introduce the speakers who are going to be uh, talk, sort of getting things kick-started with little short six-minute talks. Um, Mojasola Adebayo has uh, made theatre, radio and television in five continents over the past two decades. Formed in over 40 productions, devised and directed over 30 plays. I'm not sure how the five continents and all that travelling ties in with the environment, but maybe you'll explain <laughs> that. Time Out once described her as being as supple and subtle as a whole ensemble. That's why I've got her, my money on her for the limbo competition at the end of State of the Arts 2012. Andy Field is the director of Forest Fringe, uh, an artist-led organisation making space for risk and experimentation at the Edinburgh Festival and beyond. Uh, he's an expert in experimental theatre, and he's also set up this year's State of the Arts blog site, which has been going since about a couple of weeks before and is the cheapest way to send a Valentine's message to anyone if you've forgotten to send a card. The highlight of his conference so far was being in the same bar as John Motson. It was a big moment. Big moment. Uh, so, Mojasola, if you take us away. Yeah. Hello, hello. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Hello out there. I don't, I don't want you to be deceived by this kind of very glitzy kind of, kind of set up here. I think we'd all love it if we could have a really good debate, a really good kind of dialogue. So, Hello. Hello, hello. Um, uh, I'm going to uh, just share a little bit about uh, a couple of um, uh, my plays, independent plays, productions. Um, uh, uh, two of them I'll mention, uh, Modge of the Antarctic, which is probably the one I'll talk about, or definitely the one I'll talk about a little bit more, and there was, uh, which was researched in Antarctica, and another show, Matt Henson, North Star, and I will refer to the, the problem, really, of travel, a little bit. It's interesting that to, just just to pick up on that right way. Actually, mm-hmm. I think if I knew now, if I if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now in terms of my kind of informing myself around issues like climate change and, and ways of making art, and I probably would never have gone to Antarctica. Actually, which is another question. Um, but 
seeing as I did go there, I'll share a little bit about that work. Um, so the creative process, really, of making um, Modge of the Antarctic, which is uh, one woman show that I performed, but it's very much a collaboration between 12 different artists from 12 different disciplines, all creating the show that I perform on stage, but it's very multimedia. Anyway, the creative process really started... Um, and a visit to uh, an island called James Island in the Gambia. And um, James Island uh, was one of the uh, many places that uh, Africans were enslaved on um, before they were shipped over to the Americas and Europe. And uh, this is a, a kind of tomb there that uh, was made famous by uh, Kunta Kente, Alex Haley's uh, uh, ancestor from Roots. You know, remember Roots? He was held there. Anyway, they think he was held there. So, yeah, it was going on holiday to James Island. And this island, um, which might be described as a kind of Belsen of Africa, really, um, is disappearing into the sea. And it's disappearing into the sea because of rising um, sea levels. And what struck me on the little canoe boat that I was there, on that canoe taking that photo, was that our history uh, as African people is disappearing into the sea. Uh, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And so I started to think about the effect of sea levels rising and, and, and Arctic and Antarctic melting on, on Africa and Africans. And at the same time as, doing, as just having this holiday, really, and being really moved by this place, um, I had also had in my head the story of a woman called uh, Ellen Craft. And Ellen Craft was a mid-19th century African-American slave woman who cross-dressed as a white man to escape slavery. And it's a true story, and she got away with it, and she lived in London for a while. And so I kind of... I know this might seem a bit of a strange connection, but I had this story in my head. I wanted to tell her story. And on that little canoe boat in the Gambia, I decided to kind of connect these two things, connect these stories. So in my play, um, Ellen um, comes to London... (coughs) Uh, and she gets a job as a sailor on board a whaling ship bound for the Southern Ocean, and she becomes the first black woman in inverted commas to step foot on the Antarctic continent. So, so through this kind of narrative, I'm trying to connect um, uh, black and white, Africa and Antarctica, race and gender, climate and change. And, it, and it's kind of the whole performance kind of held by a griot, a West African storyteller, who kind of connects all those themes together. So as I, as I mentioned, in researching the play and, and, making the, and doing the shoot, obviously, the visuals, because it's a very visual piece, that the visuals are integrated into the show. I went there with an artist called Della Grace Volcano, who's there, who, who shot the visuals. Um, and so although, um, you know, these two particular pieces, Modge of the Antarctic in particular, are informed by my thinking around climate change from a few years ago, I'm now obviously trying to make... Um, you know, trying to ask myself about the environment, environmental impact of all my work and to think about that in terms of form, in terms of touring, in terms of sets, in terms of everything, not just in terms of content. In fact, I, I don't think I'm going to look at that into climate change anymore in terms of content. I don't really feel that I need to do that. Um, so anyway, so let's get on with it. it so if, if climate change is, is a kind of crisis that in the Chinese language, I guess it's Mandarin, I don't know, I'm a bit ignorant about this, is symbolised as danger and opportunity. The crisis is the meeting point of danger and opportunity. What are the kind of dangers and opportunities that, for, for me in my work, um, have arisen from, from, from looking at subject of climate change through art? So three dangers and three opportunities in, in five minutes. Uh, so my first danger for me, uh, I'm gonna go, and also I'll give you the double whammy of giving you some photos from Antarctica as well, just to appease my guilt. Um, so uh, I have huge climate guilt 
Uh, every time anybody mentions all the different places I've been to, I feel like climate change is my fault. I cause climate change. It's my <laughs> fault the sea levels are rising, Africa is wasting away. All those things are my fault. And I feel ashamed. I want to hide myself away. I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed by this bottle of water. I feel paranoid that I printed this out on paper. Of course, I've used two sides. But, you know, all of that stuff. And what I found is, I don't know about you, uh, maybe your tentative laughter kind of... In- you know, maybe you know the feeling, but you know, for me, it, um, it guilt is the most useless emotion for an artist. For me, it's immobilizing. Um, it makes you want to hide away, and uh, and I think it also reveals a massive ego. You know, like I did it. You know, um, uh, you know, and that's and that's putting myself at the centre of all of that. And and really, one is a, a huge danger because I think it can be a massive block. And I think it's better to just kind of get over your guilt, stop beating yourself up. And, um, and just because you can't do very much necessarily as an individual or even as a small arts organisation doesn't mean you don't do anything at all. Because I think what guilt does often is that we go, oh, I can't do anything, so I won't do anything. It's all my fault kind of thing. Anyway, so guilt, I think that's a, that's a problem. Get over our guilt. Let's get over our guilt together. And instead, take responsibility, make informed choices. For example, with Modge of the Antarctic, um, realising, of course, after having made the show, the kind of massive kind of environmental impact I made. And it's a process, right? You don't kind of wake up one morning and you're completely informed as an art climate change activist stroke artist. It's a process. So I decided after having made Modge of the Antarctic, and I, I was invited to tour Southern Africa, and I, I decided I was going to, it was a massive dilemma for me whether to tour Africa with this piece. And I decided to tour Africa with this piece, Southern Africa, five, five countries, partly because of lots of other questions about access to art, about international dialogue, Dialogue about all of those kind of other choices, and also you know working really not just kind of big glitzy theatres, but re- re- working really at grassroots, running workshops, all of that kind of stuff that's really important to me in my work. But I decided for me, okay, I'm not going to just get guilty about that. The trade-off is I'm not going to go to New York. So I was invited to perform in New York, and I decided not to perform in New York because because I felt I've I've performed I've performed this piece enough. If they want me to live stream it, I'll live stream it. Other people can perform this show. It doesn't need me to get on a plane and do that. So that was a little kind of choice that I made. I'm not saying everybody should make choices like that. I'm just saying rather than hiding under my guilt, I made a choice. Anyway, so second thing I think to be wary of is evangelism. I know this because I feel this because I spent eight years um, in a fundamentalist religious cult. And that's how I started performing. I was a rapper. I used to rap on the streets of London. You might remember me in the 80s trying to get into your brains kind of thing. I apologise for it. But I think it's a big danger. And, of course, these dangers and opportunities say more about me than they probably do about you. But I think um, uh, people don't like preaching. You know, People don't want to be told the answers about climate change. Art is a place for questions, not answers. Um, also, when you start preaching, you separate yourself from your audience and you set yourself up for a fall, right, like I'm probably doing now. So you eventually become a hypocrite. And when you give in to that coffee and a paper cup... And then you feel more guilty, and it's pointless. So no preachers in art is what I, what I reckon. And I think also, also that you know because we're all in this together around this subject. And I feel, and I think this came up this morning, that every discussion today is about the environment. There isn't a discussion that we're having today that isn't about the environment, that isn't about climate change. It's all, all connected. There's, there's nothing that we do that doesn't have some environmental impact, including pressing this button. So opportunism is my last little danger I'm just going to identify. Um, So I have witnessed and perhaps at times also expressed what is for me a very dangerous and arrogant attitude that sees climate change as an opportunity to take selfish advantage uh, of the subject with very little responsibility or acknowledgement of one's own privilege. Um, Artists who see climate change as an opportunity to make self-indulgent, self-important 
art. An example being, uh, no offence to the individual person, I won't mention that individual person's name, but taking a big canister of CO2 to Greenland with all of the weight, the extra weight on planes, etc., and going to Greenland and releasing CO2 into the atmosphere and then filming it and calling it art. I mean, for me, that's bad art anyway, but there's also another pro- problem, you know, and, it wasn't, and actually, if the artist in particular was really convinced about what they were doing, I might feel differently and could, I could actually argue for it. But actually, the person spent a whole heap of time asking lots and lots of different artists, should I really be doing this, should I really be doing this kind of thing? And it was, for me, it was just a kind of opportunist art. It's kind of like, oh, climate change, I, I can make an impact on that. And I said, go talk to the people in Greenland. There's people living here. There's people living in Greenland. Ask them if they want you to release your CO2 into this atmosphere for art. So anyway, I think we need to be wary of it. And me, myself, I need to be wary of it, preaching back at myself again. So from opportunism to opportunities, I think there are lots. One for me is the opportunity of poetry. I won't talk more about that because that would be unpoetic. Um, but, um, yes, uh, the, the kind of romantic tradition was referenced this morning, and I see myself as potentially kind of part of that, and a lot of my, my own poetry mixes in artists like Coleridge uh, into my own work. I think there's potential for not just poetic language, but poetic imagery. Um, the subject has also given me an opportunity to really diversify, to expand my vision. You know, as a black artist, it's really interesting. For me, I think there's a real perception, and maybe it's a self-perception, that there are certain black issues. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> got any what are black issues? You tell me. Identity. Identity. Crime. Crime. Mm. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Black issues. Racism, history, gangs, slavery, history, all those things, kind of black issues. And I don't think that's necessarily just from institutions. I think that's also from ourselves as black artists. We limit ourselves about what we can talk about. A black woman talking about climate change, Antarctic, this, that, and that, you know. And what's this? This has given me an opportunity to really expand what is possible for an artist to look at. I'm not so. I'm not interested in what I already know about. I'm interested in what I don't know anything about as an artist. So this this is a, a great opportunity um, for me. Um, I think climate change necessitates that we step away from single-issue politics, identity politics. Um, uh, For example, um, the issue of war at the moment, the the threat of war at the moment between Israel and Iran is a massive environmental issue. There's nothing more damaging that you can do for the environment than than war. You know, and that's you know, in terms of just engaging in that subject, not necessarily engaging directly in the subject of climate change, is you know, is all relevant. It's all it's all connected. We there's no separation. Anyway, okay. So for me, the last point I'm going to make is around slow art, and I'm talking very fast, so I'm going to slow down and allow myself this last point. I realised a few years ago, before I getting into these climate change issues or anything. I realised that there was something drastically wrong with my life when I found myself rushing around a supermarket shopping and grabbed a bag of carrot batons. You, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Grab, yes, you know that feeling. Grabbing carrot batons, shoving it in my trolley. And then I, then I picked up this bag, this cut-up little thing. I was thinking to myself, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong with my life. <laughs> if I cannot peel and chop my own carrot <laughs> do you know what I mean like what the hell and if I can't even grow my own carrot in England I can grow a carrot 
You know, like, what is wrong with me? And I feel like that kind of carrot baton imagery is, you know, <laughs> it kind of, to me, that's like being a small-scale theatre maker a lot of the time. You know that feeling? Bish, bash, bosh. Put a funding application. Four weeks of rehearsal. Damn, there. Tour the show. Bam, finish it. Chuck the set. Get in the next show. You know, and, and that's just because, I, you know, I'm, I'm just me one. I'm, I don't work for anybody. You know, just a small, independent person. And I think there's... I know that in my life there's too much rush, there's too much... You know, and, and you know when you're cooking a meal, if you rush it, if you rush the shopping and you rush the cooking, you'll have more waste. You know that way? You'll have much more waste. But if you slow down, prepare, think, take time, you know, reflect, make, take responsibility, you know, make all those choices slowly, you, you won't waste as much. You know, and I was trying to think about that in terms of making work. I need to slow down. And sometimes, I'm, I'm going to finish now, sometimes also the option of having things raw rather than cooked. All this business about BP and Shell taking money. Shame! Shame! There's my old preacher coming out again. Beware, Mudge. But, like, what? What's that about? You know, step back and say, how, what, 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 what would it mean if one stepped back and said, I'm not going to have that money? You know, I will do it raw. I won't do it cooked. I'll do it raw. Without as much money. Without mm. as much, you know? And I'll do it slowly, not fast, fast, bish, bash, bosh. You know, so those are three sort of dangers and opportunities for me that I see, and I hope we can have lots of debate about mm-hmm. some of those things and lots of other things too. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, and please, we'll be asking getting questions from the audience, so that um, yeah, get them ready as well. Uh, time for the next speaker now, who is Andy Field? Thanks. Wow, that was lovely. I want to follow that terrible woman. Um, okay. Um, whilst we're all uh, sitting here, oh, that. whilst we're all sitting here in Salford, uh, my friend Kieran is on a train to Lisbon. Uh, or more accurately, Kieran is on one of several trains and I think a bus that will eventually take him to Lisbon, where this weekend he is taking part in a small festival uh, that I've been organising in collaboration uh, with a venue called Culturegist. I don't exactly know where he is right now, but for the purposes of this presentation, we're going to imagine that he's somewhere in northern France, uh, possibly looking out of a window at you know, a tree-lined Roman road. He's probably eating a sandwich. Um, Kieran's full name is Kieran Hurley. He's a writer and performer from Glasgow. Back in July 2009, Kieran made another very different journey across Europe. Again, he set off from Glasgow, this time hitchhiking to the earthquake-hit town of L'Aquila in Italy to take part in the protests organised during the G8 Summit of World Leaders held in the town. Prior to his trip, Kieran was not a regular protester or an experienced hitchhiker, but nevertheless he did uh, make it to L'Aquila, and in the months afterwards he made a show about that experience, and that show Hitch is uh, the reason why he's on a train to Lisbon, Uh, but we'll get back to him later. Um, I've been asked to offer you uh, six to eight minutes worth of thoughts on artists and the future of the environment, and in order to do so, I was primed with a series of questions to consider. Uh, Question one, how could artists raise awareness of climate change? What could artists do to contribute to persuading people that these issues matter? Who are the most important people to target, and how could it be done, and what would success look like? And I was quite a big set of questions. And when I first started thinking about it, uh, I, I was quite nervous. Uh, and I thought that, you know, I knew there was people like James Marriott and Sean in the audience there who are, who are real experts at this. And, and I was pretty anxious of making a fool of myself in front of them. Um, but the problem was, I realized that, that I don't think those are the right questions to ask artists. Um, 
Undoubtedly, they're the right questions for a lot of people, for uh, politicians, lobbyists, charities, advocacy groups, uh, and I'm sure that they're very good at answering them. But I don't feel like they're the right questions for artists. They assume a, a strategic and instrumental objective that I don't recognize as being what artists do, or at least I don't recognize as being what artists do well. Um, I think in our urgency to resolve an increasingly alarming crisis, we are trying to make use of artists in a way that isn't particularly effective, like using a map to crack a walnut. Um, so I want to take a step back and ask a simpler question, which is, what could artists be doing about climate change? Uh, now, the first point is I want artists to stop making bad art about climate change. <laughs> By which I mean art that thinks its primary purpose is to raise awareness of climate change without acknowledging that we have at our disposal the greatest communication tool ever created and the ability to reach millions of people in seconds without any of the resources needed to maintain a gallery or a theatre or a concert hall. By which I mean art that seeks to persuade its audience of the importance of climate change without really interrogating who that audience are and if they are largely metropolitan and if they are largely educated and middle class and largely from the UK where studies have shown that the large majority of people already give quite a lot of a shit about climate change actually. By which I mean art and artists that are blind to their own privilege and the years they have spent reaping the rewards of industrialization and driving cars and flying on planes and the complex political dimension to the sacrifice that they are now so righteously demanding from people that have never had such privilege. By which I mean art that does not consider its own place within a system of production and consumption that brought us to this point of crisis. By which I mean an art that lacks the imagination to believe that it can do more than simply change minds. Uh, uh, this is a piece of art. Uh, this is a piece of art. It's an event score by Ken Friedman. It was created in 2003 that I was introduced to by Chris Good. Um, I'm using it here because I think that somewhere in the space between its two brief instructions, it begins to describe what I hope that art at its best can do. Art may begin with something imagined, a story or an idea or some new and unlikely piece of information, but it really becomes itself when, the when that material starts to bleed out into the world beyond it, when something imagined becomes something lived. For this reason, I don't think art is at its most effective when it is a place that we go to learn about the dangers of climate change. Instead, I want art to be a place where we go to imagine and enact new ways of living in response to that danger. But being able to genuinely explore that kind of change relies absolutely upon artists and art institutions committing to radically changing themselves. It requires them to be completely open to new ways of making art, new spaces for making art in, and new ways of engaging with audiences. Um, the arts have an opportunity and a responsibility to be the first place where we imagine a new life and the first place where we start to try and live it. Uh, here, then, are six potential rules for living for either artists or organisations. Small challenges that might help us to reshape or understand our understanding of art and its relationship to the world. They are as much a challenge to myself as they are to anybody else, though if anyone is willing to give any of them a shot, uh, then, you know, all power to their elbow. Um, number one, uh, make a piece of art without any electricity. And that includes its creation, its presentation, and its dissemination. Number two, make a piece of art without any money changing hands at any point, neither your money or anybody else's. Number three, make a piece of art without creating any new material. That means material both in the literal, physical sense and in the creative, conceptual sense. 
Number four, make a piece of art that can spread like an infection, traveling from one person to the other entirely out of your control. Number five, make a piece of art that cannot travel, a piece that can only be here and can only be now. And number six, make a piece of art that fundamentally changes the way you live, a piece that becomes so integral to you that to remove it would be like removing a part of yourself. Uh, and I want to end back with Kieran on his train again. He's probably slightly further now. He might be having a cup of tea. And I want Kieran to be a reminder that however outlandish and, yes, gimmicky uh, those six small challenges might seem, they're not that far away from what many artists are already doing. Kieran began his journey by hitchhiking to L'Aquila in 2009, and that journey still isn't over. His show is not just about what happens on stage in the brief uh, 50 intimate minutes that he spends talking to us about his trip. His show is also the transformation that has affected on his artistic practice and on the way in which he chooses to live his life. It is the challenge that that has posed in getting the show to Lisbon for us uh, and the questions that challenge has raised um, for us trying to get it there. The show is the conversation that Kieran will have with people on the way, explaining why on earth he's on a train to Lisbon, and the show is me telling you about it now. All of this is the show, and as such, that show becomes more than a story. It becomes an invitation to imagine a life and to live it. And that's it. Thank you. Can I open it up to the floor? Has anyone got questions, please? Do you think we could have house like this? Yeah, it's very dark. Yeah. We've got a microphone that will come round. Yeah. Of all of the things that you could have put on the slide, why not put the six questions? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I'm, I've got this speech on my laptop here, and what I'll do is, uh, as soon as this session is over, I will, um, I'm going to stick it up on the live blog, which I think you all have the address for in your packs, so you can check it out there. There's an oversight. That was my conceptual neatness kicking in, unfortunately. I'm not really ainly retentive sometimes. <laughs> Who wants to open it up? Questions back? Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, Leroy Philbrook, Arts Council England. I just wanted to mention, Colin, that it would be really helpful if um, everybody that did have a question would say kind of who they were before they said the question. Sure. So that's all I wanted to say. So. Uh, lady there, then gent there in the front. I think the one about how we use the arts and whether... Say your name, sorry. Oh, sorry. Wouldn't name where you're sorry. <laughs> Good start. Samina's a here, hybrid. Um, I think the one about how we use the arts is interesting and that we don't want to preach. And it, it made me think about... I don't know if you've read... Um, is it Taller and Sunstein's book called Nudge? And it talks about how... Um, they did some research going into a school canteen and they looked at how the food was laid out. And they saw that if you just shifted how it was laid out, that the students would pick their food differently. And I thought that was so interesting, because we think about, well, I can't um, manipulate, I can't preach, I have to be careful. But in our actions, whether they're creative actions or whatever they are, we are giving an implicit message in that. And so I think in some ways we are, it's not about preaching, it's about the message, isn't it? I was really interested in your presentation and really enjoyed it, though. Pete Gunson from Pithpath. What in the work that we do, a question we ask ourselves quite a lot is whether 
what we're doing is to um, encourage people to change the way they live, whether that is the duty of the artist or if it's just allowing us all to sort of tip over the edge with a bit more style and awareness <laughs> of, of the end. Yeah. So that's the question is, in this debate is what are we trying to do as artists mm. in this situation? I thought um, one of the most uh, interesting things that was said th- this morning was, I didn't catch the lady's name, but she's the uh, director of um, Julie's Bicycle, who was... Yeah. Oh, well, she, it was great. You were great. You were good. Um, and you weren't even on the panel. You should be here, basically. You should be um, here. But um, uh, it was saying that, you know, that, that it's... That this, this constant question of, of what we should do as artists is, 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 is not the right question. It's what should we do as individuals and what should we do within institutions and within, you know, within our societies. And, uh, and I think that, 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 that what, one of the things that I was trying to get at was that sense that, you know, that, that art, is merely one, what, what, art is merely one context in which we can start to think about how we change as individuals. And... Uh, and I, and I think that uh, sort of only loosely relates to what you're saying, but I just thought it was a really interesting point that came up earlier on. Uh, thanks. I'm Rick Hall from Ignite, and I'm doing some research at the moment into um, sci art collaborations or sci art fusions. Um, and one of the things that I'm uh, interested in knowing your views about, really, is uh, what happens when art becomes a vehicle for the um, wider public understanding of scientific uh, concepts. Um, science is, uh, you know, is very much linked into what we're talking about here with, with climate change and, and, uh, and so on. Um, but there's a danger, it feels to me, uh, when art becomes the vehicle for uh, explaining and, and uh, disseminating kind of messages about the science of climate change. And I think it's linked to... I mean, science is great because it also gives you a methodology and it often also gives you new materials and new processes and new techniques, if you like, to actually um, deliver your art, to be part, you know, to, to be part of the artistic process. Um, I'm very interested in kind of like new materials, new, new compounds, new stuff... Um, that you can make things with. But I've always had this anxiety about art that is about something. And, 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 I, and I, I'd, I'd like to hear perhaps a little bit more of your views about um, this notion that art is the vehicle or art is about climate change. Um, because my view of some of that, ranging from you know some lovely work that was developed by... Cape Farewell or the tipi- Tipping Point Commissions as examples, um, is that it, it's, you know, it's the kind of art that isn't going to be all that memorable or you know, get, get a second performance if it's a theatre piece or, or get um, you know, the subject of a retrospective if it's a, a visual arts piece. Well, let's get the, the views of the panelists and then open that up to the, f- the floor then. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, thinking about my own work, I think with Modge of the Antarctic, what's, what's most memorable is, is the idea of blackness and whiteness and, and the crossing over. And, and, and I, I'm sure that 
probably people who saw that show would remember that imagery more than anything else. Remember this black woman in Antarctica or, or black per, um, uh, female playing male or, and that crossing over and, and so that the kind of questions are much more poetic and much more um, uh, open actually to interpretation and I, and I think that's good and if some people come away with thinking about climate change then great but I think probably the most important thing that happened to me for that process is how it changed me and my behaviour and my choices um, and then my family maybe and all those kind of things and I, I, I think that's what I need to be concerned with most of all because I, I think you're right it's something I pointed to with diversification that I, I just don't I don't know I don't know whether you can we can do it really well you know it really communicate about climate change in particular really well through a, through a single art uh, object or, 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 or output um, the next show that I'm making in uh, South Africa is a response to uh, you're going to wonder why on earth I'm going off, but I'll tell you why. Uh, it's a response to corrective rape, so-called corrective rape of uh, African lesbian women. Uh, um, it's a, a kind of horrible rising phenomenon of women being raped in order to make them straight kind of thing. Uh, and y- y- I'm making a c- collaboration with a dancer. What's, it, what's this got to do with climate change? Ha- what's the location in which this body... And the story is about a body that emerges from from death. And it's really interesting talking to the dance artist that I'm collaborating with about deciding between us what's the right, what's the right material that her body should emerge from. And stereotypically, I was thinking she ri- she rises from the grave, that she rises from the soil. But Mam- Mamela, the dancer I'm working with, said, "No, that's too soft." And so we decided on metal that she arises from a metal scrap heap. And I know this sounds a bit sort of wishy-washy and the rest of it, but it's about kind of slowing down, taking the time to, write, to decide about the material. And actually, when the, when the poetic image, when the image, the meaning of the art, then actually starts to, it, it, it starts to merge with kind of ideas about materials... And then you can start thinking, okay, how do we make that sustainable? How do we tour that? Great, we're not going to tour it. We're only going to use local metal. How then will the meaning be completely different in Cape Town when people see really local tins and cans and the kind of bath that you might find in a township in Cape Town? When the show comes to London, it will be very materials that you'll find from London. And so... what, so that's driven by by the art, by the poetic poetic imagery, um, but because of everything that happened with much of the Antarctic, I I can't help but think what we're going to do with the stuff. Where do we get the stuff from? And I I think that's much more powerful. It actually, has a more of a long term. Uh, it certainly changes me long term. Perhaps changes my collaborator long term than, than making kind of single issue work about about climate change. I, I haven't I, I haven't found it very convincing that work. A lot of it. Um, I, 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 I thought that was a really lovely answer, and I, I definitely agree with you a lot. That, that, that I think the thing I was trying to get at was maybe that 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 the the, the the most the, the most significant thing I think artists could do would be to consider the way that they live and how that is expressed in their work. Um, the, the about question is obviously difficult. I, I put up a somewhat deliberately provocative um, slide <laughs> along those lines, um, just. S- sort of just to raise that question, really. Um, and I'm going to make a slightly... I don't even know if I believe in this, frankly, but I'm going to make a slightly reductive um, uh, discrimination. Um, 
I, I think that artists who want to raise awareness of climate change should absolutely and positively be Im- involved in the process of, of doing so. And I think that artists should be incorporated, included far more within the, 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 you know, the, the wider sort of community that is attempting to raise awareness of climate change. And I, I'd, I'd like to see artists involved with you know, the, the working um, as as, as, as lobbyists, and I'd like to see the kind of creativity that, uh, that, 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 that perhaps is um, artists are prized for used in more imaginative ways in the kind of political process of uh, raising awareness of climate change. Um, however, whether that... Uh, then you come back to the, the, the question of the art, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's my place to say why anyone should be making a piece of art, but I'd like to hope that the... Um, that you know that, that, that there's 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 I kind of feel like art itself as a medium is like one of the one of the um, is a really problematic way for trying to disseminate any message. Chris Good, who mentioned the talk, talks about he called his old company Signal to Noise because he thinks that's what art does. It, it takes a signal and turns it into noise. And actually, you know, it's about our experience of that noise and our you know the relationship that 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 that. Um, Art fuzzes everything up. There's no clarity, and that's what's brilliant about it. Um, but what it does do, and I was talking to um, Jill Lloyd, arts admin, about exactly this just just the other day. Um, and, and arts admin makes some brilliant work um, that is that is, I suppose you could say, is very explicitly about climate change. Look at Plunge in London at the moment, for example, uh, uh, which is a, a great piece with arts admin and, and Lyft, I think. Um, and what, what that art is doing is not so much attempting to communicate about uh, climate change, but it's attempting to, to make material something that can too often feel uh, sort of abstract and, and too often feel, feel sort of dauntingly vague and statistical. And I think that there's a real, you know, there's a real value. Art has always done that, you know, right back to kind of, you know, look at sort of great religious art of the medieval period, which is making real, making sort of physical and material something that can otherwise feel very abstract and therefore communicate in it in a way which is incredibly forceful and incredibly uh, effective. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of I'm, I'm, I'm attempting at once to sort of stand on both sides of that fence, I suppose. But I'd be really, really keen to hear what other people in the room uh, think about that because I think it's a really interesting question uh, chat with glasses and the beers um, James Marriott <coughs> the platform um, it's, it's a very interesting question this question of art being a vehicle um, I'd argue very strongly that art is always a vehicle in fact I'm, I'm not sure it's an interesting question as to when art ceases to become a vehicle for something whether it ceases to become art so the so the um, a painting of the Haywain by Constable is a vehicle for a set of ideas that Constable was communicating. When it's re- reproduced endlessly on the top of chocolate boxes, it, it curiously seems to lose that element. It ceases to become art, in a sense. It, se- it ceases to become the vehicle for something. It's just a means of selling chocolates. Um, it, art has always, for my money, has always been a vehicle for something. In fact, I think it's impossible to say to think about anything else and just to pick up on something Andy said if you go to any book about Western European art and look up the section that runs for about a thousand years between 500 AD and 1500 AD virtually every single image that you will pick up there is carrying is a vehicle for the 
theory of the, the, the Christian ch church, you know, the, the whole structure of belief, structure of, of Christ and, and the Catholic church or, and, and the Reformation as well. So, you know, it, the whole structure of, of art in that pe period is, do it, is a vehicle for one thing. And the most, some of the most sublime art, from the Byzantines to Michelangelo, is, 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 is made from that pro process of being a vehicle. And I find it useful to think about that time span in relation to this question of climate change. Because if anybody, if anybody who spent even a very short period of time thinking about climate change realizes that this isn't something that's going to go away, that there will be a climate change problem, there will be a ch the challenge of climate change till the day I die, and in fact it probably will exist for the next thousand years. A long time span, a long, long time span. And it seems to me that, therefore, it's quite possible that in a couple of thousand years we'll be able to look back and say, ah, during that period, all art was a vehicle for, vast majority of art was a vehicle for trying to cha challenge, this, these, challenge these questions, carry these questions. And I, I personally, I feel perfectly happy with that. I think that's a great thing, you know. James is one of the speakers this morning. I couldn't see through the gloom that it was, it was him. But uh, just worth pointing out as well, we've got um, 25 minutes left. And at the end of that 25 minutes, we are supposed to have three big-ticket solutions, which we feed back to Kirsty. So we'd, if we could start thinking towards what three points we'd most like to, to feed back. If we could take the gentleman up there. Then. Um, Leroy Philbrook from Arts Council England. I just wanted to kind of add to that that for, for me, uh, uh, art is, a, is, is about communicating, and, and, it, and a good art communicates. And I think what I, when, when I, I did university, my director used to say if, if there was a piece of work or theater that wasn't communicating to the audience, it was masturbating on the stage, basically. And it was just f you know, doing something to kind of fulfill your own needs. Um, so in that respect, it's always a, 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 a message. And if there's a message, it's really important that the important things that are important to the artists, important to people, important to being human, are those messages, you know, that are about life. And obviously climate change is one of those things that's important to people. I think back to some of the great pieces of artwork that I've seen uh, and experienced that kind of changed my perspective. And I'll give you an example of the sunflower seeds, Ai Weiwei. And, you know, I, of course I've seen in the media and heard about what happens in China, et cetera, et cetera. But that piece of work brought it home in a way that's changed my perspective since that day. So a good art can do that. Thanks, Leroy. And sorry, Julie's Alison. Alison, sorry, Alison. Um, I expect I'll be called Julie many times to come, but I'm Alison. Um, just to say, um, I found both those presentations really interesting. I think that what you've both raised is something that really is beyond this very tiresome, and I will express a certain degree of fatigue around this part of the conversation. I think, as James has argued, as everybody's argued, it's absolute common sense that actually art does work to themes. It has done for time immemorial, and it will continue to do so for time immemorial. And we don't try and stop that. There's some good art. There's a lot of bad art. It doesn't really matter. It's not the point. I think there's a much more interesting thing that's going on here, which is about us as individuals, as artists, as an arts community, that is reflecting a new, different way of 
relating to the world around us. And that's really, I think, we, we're in danger of just, if we continue to debate whether or not we should or we, sh we shouldn't be reflecting very, in, in an instrumental way, issues that are around us all today, we will forget that actually the most exciting, we are in such a fantastic time now, a really exciting time, that is fraught with urgency, with long-term uh, prospects, with all sorts of challenges that we have, to reinvent how we live our lives on an individual level, and of course art is going to reflect that. And I think that we've got to stop this, and we've got to move on and actually answer some of those questions and, and look at some of those prospects that actually have been presented by actually all four presenters today, which is about let's get over this hump and get on with it mm. and get on thinking about what the future actually holds for us in this context, because it's in every single thing that we do and every act that we take. And have you got anything you'd like to put forward for the three things that we put forward? Yeah, I'd like us to stop being neurotic, actually, <laughs> about this. Mm -hmm. I think we, we need to start asking ourselves what it really is that we want to get on and do as a community, rather than be neurotic about whether or not we ought to. So my name's Shana Alexander. I also uh, work with Julie's Bicycle. Um, and uh, I think one of the things, I again, I love both presentations. I was struck um, very much by your idea of slow art and um, having the time to make the right decisions and actually how that becomes part of your artistic process. It's not just about um, having uh, a particular set of environment, environmental impacts. It's actually integral to your practice. And I guess the challenge, I think, that comes back to all of us then is what do we need to do about our business models and the way that we make work that makes slow art possible? Mm. That's a really good point. <coughs> do you want to respond? I just, I, I just think it's a really good point. Mm. <laughs> I think that, that, that is definitely that there's a responsibility for, 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 both, for institutions and beyond institutions for the Arts Council and beyond the Arts Council for DCMS, if Ed Vasey bothered to hang around for the rest of the conference, which he never does. Um, that there's a question there about what we expect of, of, of artists and what we, what we want art to be and that, that actually our, our, our expectations, our demands... Of, 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 of how art is made, how often art is made, how it's presented, how it's then disseminated, needs to be really challenged on a fundamental level so that, as, 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 as um, Sean said, so that, so that we can have a, a situation in which everyone has the opportunity to, 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 to make slower art and, as a consequence, to live slower lives, I think. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from? Uh, I'm Tid from Fairground. Uh, we make theatre. Um, I think the question is about how we're choosing to live and how we want to live as human beings. And I, it just echoed lots of stuff that was being said at another conference about um, innovation and education, and it was Alan McCarthy talking about the circular economy and how that movement is beginning to grow. Um, but I also, just as an action, why can't all the big theatres just decide for a year to make every show without electricity? Why, 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 because there's, why can't they do that? Like, what are the reasons? Let's find them out, and then let's 
defeat those reasons. Because if it, it's, it's urgent, it's an urgent thing and needs something disruptive. It, it, it needs something disruptive and rebellious and something exciting as well. And that's exciting because everybody goes, what? What a stupid idea. And that's where you begin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Can I just, just, just chip in, um, just, just hooking on to what you were saying. Um, uh, I, in public platforms, I, I've, I've said a couple of sharp things about the Royal Shakespeare Company, just because having worked for them before. Um, so I'm going to say something really lovely uh, on, on tape. Uh, the RSC have just started recycling their sets in 2012. There you go. Uh, but they've just started recycling their sets, um, which I think is great. Um, why can't? Why did it take so long? And you know, why isn't that just standard across the board? And I, you know, and I think it comes back to these points about about slowing down, and taking the time. And I have one really probably very unpopular suggestion, and this is for the for grants for the arts applications. Actually, it's a really specific thing on the grants for the arts applications to the Arts Council. As you all know, I'm sure I, I, just, I apply as an individual. There's there. There are various qu- points you've got to answer there, yeah. Um, and the last one's evaluation. Like, I, I was thinking recently, why isn't there a section on on environment and environmental impact? Mm. Um, I know, I, God, I can't even believe I'm advocating for more sections on forms. But the great thing about evalu- evaluation is one of those things that probably 20 years ago, we all went, oh, evaluate what? What? Why am I being... And now it's just kind of par for the course that we have to kind of reflect on on how well we did and, what we, you know, all those kind of things. So how about environmental impact being one of our mm. standard things that we have to put on those forms because the great thing about that is you have to then slow down and have a good old think about it and let mm-hmm. that thinking inform your planning um, just as a not as a way of kind of making us stick to rules and all that kind of thing but as a way of supporting us to get have the time and space to think about it and also you know it means that we have to be accountable because we have to then go did we actually do that or not well, I mean the, um, the, the RSC thing's interesting I, I always and I, I really like yeah what you said yeah yes um, and like the RSC, for example, why not do all your shows in a year on the same fucking set? You know, why not encourage directors, writers, whoever else to think about the way in which they use that set and transform their practice? Why? Why does it have to be seen as sort of a hurdle to manage? Like we're recycling, and that this is some. Why? Why not? radically transform your practices and see that as an opportunity to change the way you make work rather than seeing you know, environmental issues, quote-unquote, as a hurdle that has to be overcome. Uh, and I think that's really important. That's the mindset we've got to change. It's a mindset that says this is not... I, I haven't got to find sort of better, more sustainable ways of doing what I already do. I've got to find sort of new practices and new ways of working that are more in keeping with a changing world. Set designers are breaking out in panic at the moment. <laughs> Who's still? To, uh, you've not asked one yet, have you? Yeah. Thank you, uh, Dan Eastman from Fire Station Arts and Culture. I just want to come back to this point about uh, why don't venues uh, do a whole year with, without electricity? <coughs> As I run a venue, um, I'd like to answer that. Um, <laughs> I think, firstly, because our our job and our role is to engage our audiences and maintain a relationship with them not drive a wedge between ourselves and our audience. And I think if we behave too militantly, then I think that's exactly what we end up doing as we go back to what you were saying about preaching. Um, But I also think something like that would make me feel a lot better about my own 
personal response to the environmental issues, but is a drop in the ocean to what is actually going on as a global problem. So I think we, we would, if I did that, I would be falling into the trap of going, aren't I great and isn't what I'm doing fantastic, ignoring the fact that there are very large developing countries who don't share our agenda, uh, who we need to communicate with to, if we're actually going to develop a global uh, sustainable ec economy and environmental uh, policy. I do think, however, as an organisation and as individuals, and I t absolutely take your point, that it really does start in the heart and we go from there onwards and that's really the only way we're going to solve the problem. What we can do as an organisation is refuse to engage with individuals and other organisations who behave unethically because environmental issues come out of an unethical life practice which extends to... Um, I mean, I'm still amazed that questions aren't being asked about the headline sponsors for the Olympics, for example. Um, I think we need to be asking those sorts of questions and we can start in the home and say, I don't want to work with this particular organisation because I don't like who they do business with and I don't like their policy and they don't like the fact they don't have an environmental policy published. So we can start with very simple, small actions which will ripple out to something more significant. Um, the, the bush uh, already did a season without any lights and it didn't drive any of their audience away. In fact, people absolutely loved it. And I think that, that the question is... Coming back to that question of electricity and saying, you know, if we were going to do something grand and, and maybe slightly gimmicky like that, then it's not to immediately assume that that's going to drive a wedge with the audience, to f but to, as artists, as creative people, find ways in which it won't, find ways in which it becomes exciting in exactly the way that Josie did at the bush uh, with their broken space season. And I think that's the challenge. We've got 13 minutes to come up with our three things. Uh, who, who'd you, who's had the hand up a long time, would you recommend? Uh, well, let's go for it. Go on. And then back right. Um, I, I really like the um, the idea of uh, slow art and that being a, a, a good uh, process to go through. But um, the problem with slow art is that uh, the reason I can't make slow art as an artist is because um, I can't make a living uh, if I do that because I uh, I'm the last person to be paid uh, and if I make slow art then I don't have enough. Uh, art to show uh, and I have to tour to get money and that's the only way I can get money I have to tour internationally and that's the only way I can get any money so my uh, my proposal for an action is that we kind of invert uh, so that so that artists can make slow art that we invert the um, uh, we invert everything so that the artist is the first person to be paid uh, and then we work from there rather than them being the uh, last one to be paid and everyone else get paid first um, because then the artists will be able to make this slow art and do what they want and make great work and, and uh, solve climate change. <laughs> <laughs> if we go back right, <laughs> then back to James. Yeah. Hi, uh, um, <clears throat> my name's Adrian uh, Lockhead. I'm the director of Eden Arts, uh, which is the arts development agency for Eden in Cumbria. Um, it's the biggest rural district in England. You've probably never heard of it and it's the most sparsely populated. So uh, uh, just a little anecdote about how people feel about uh, climate change in Cumbria. Quite a lot of people think that it will rain less and that we'll be able to grow wine, and it'll be nicer. Okay? I mean, I, I don't tend to think that, but um, on, on the subject of art, um, I see some things sometimes that are telling me things, and I really like them, but they tend to be the things that I already agree with. Um, so that's why I agree with them. Um, I was talking to a young person last week who was talking about how he did not matter, 
Nothing he thought matters. Nothing he thinks he can do matters. And so he's totally disconnected. The, the art that really, really moves me is the art that... It emotionally moves me. Is, is art that tells me or lets me know that I'm not separate to the rest of the world. And I'm not separate to you guys. And I'm really connected. And there's so much stuff that you, particularly young people have that I think tells them that they're, they're actually not living in an environment. They're not living in a world. They're living in a, in, you know, through, a, through a box or, or through telecommunications. And so I'd rather not be telling people what's right and wrong about, about climate change. I'd rather be doing art that actually says, we are connected. We're connected to our environment. As Modge was saying, everything connects back that way. Uh, I was just, a little, another little thing to say, I was talking to an artist yesterday, and our conversation revolved around, um, we've been looking to do with some stuff to do with sheep and wool, and the word hefted, hefted in Cumbrian means how sheep belong to a piece of land. That's why they don't have wools around fells, and why they stay there. And it quickly got us onto what we were talking about was the, the Australian Abor Aboriginal notion of the land doesn't belong to us, we, be we belong to it. And, and I, I think it's really important that, that what we can do with the arts, rather than preaching, is saying, is connecting us to the environment, that we are connected to it, that we, that it, that it's, that, that we live on it, um, that milk doesn't come out of a plastic thing, it comes out of something with four legs in each corner. Uh, and that there's a lot of young people who have really, really lost sight of that. Um, I guess that's, that's all I wanted to say. Back to James. Uh, James. Uh, very quickly, I just got two questions to throw into the uh, question pool. Yep. The first is, um, how can we ensure that the major arts institutions of this country cease to take funds from the oil and gas industry, in particular BP and Shell? And the second question, and you would expect that coming from me, but uh, the second question is, how can we nurture institutions of art education, both in the visual arts and in the theatre and so on, that help the development of better art that engages with climate change. If, as, as has been pointed out, the problem is not necessarily art that engages with climate change, but the, the bad art that uh, engages with climate change, what we need to do is to find ways in which we can develop better art. And that's not just about the physical practice, like limiting the CO2 emissions, but actually the concentration of the imagination how do we Think do that, though? It's not, it's not just questions we're to put back, we're actually to put well, solutions. Well, I'd like to say that, you know, the question that we want... Uh, this is the question I want to raise is, can we imagine a, bow, a, a similar... something similar to, say, for example, the Bauhaus, which addressed a whole set of social and, and political questions, a similar, a similar structure which addresses the ecological and climate change questions? Is that possible to come about? All cultural structures have, have had to have institutions which have places of training right back to the, you know, the, the, the studio of Fra Angelico and we need to create those places of training so that we can actually make better art this gentle here is it hand up for ages um, the, I, just, oh. I just very oh, very quickly wanted to say something that, um, that I said in, this, in the um, session in the morning which um, oh my name's Jay Griffiths by the way um, I'm a writer um, which, which is that there's this false dichotomy between you know nature versus culture, and in climate change it seems that you know that, that there's this 
very, very unpleasant strand of thought, which thinks that, you know, you shouldn't make art about the environment, you know, you shouldn't make art about nature, uh, because culture is opposed to nature. And actually, the word culture itself, not only in all its history has it sunk its roots deep into nature, but the very word itself comes from cultus in Latin. It means that it's to do with the cultivation, the tending and the respectful care of plants. And that, you know, that would be my, my, you know, my point for all of us to bear in mind is that when we're faced with this false dichotomy of, you know, culture versus nature, it isn't true. Yeah, on the far left. Yeah. Yeah, da- David Alston, Arts Council of Wales. Um, I'm beginning to feel real sympathy for the panic of the chairman now for <laughs> getting these three <laughs> principles. So I would just like to offer and to thank the panel for the, the thought, but I think we should just send the message back, don't buy carrot batons. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that seriously because I think I say that seriously because um, I think there is this question of a level of every single small thing that individually we as arts bureaucrats, artists, practitioners working in the field can do to question our practice. Um, will contribute and rather than make art in that way let's just make life in a different way if just good just to the lady in the right thanks uh, judith knight for arts uh, arts admin and just quickly i absolutely believe that artists making work about climate change can be brilliant and thank you andy for mentioning plunge if it's coming from the artist's heart. And I think opportunism is never going to work if somebody thinks, oh, there's a commission, let me make it. It's only going to work. People like Michael Pinsky really believes it, Heather Ackroyd, Dan Harvey, artists like that. And it can be hugely communicating, and it can actually make people change minds. Um, Communication, again, the Arts Council, actually, amazingly, groups of us have talked to them over the last period of time about bringing up into the national and the NPO funding agreement that people need to have a green policy, which again is more bureaucracy. And actually it's coming from us, the, the, the clients, and actually the Arts Council have made that change and it sends a really good signal, I think. So we just need to talk to them more about grants for the arts as well and pu- pushing that awareness. But it, and also, I mean, I think... That, I think if we want two of the... Th- I mean, two of the things have already been mentioned if we want three things. One is we have to get rid of sponsorship from oil companies absolutely definite i think it's got to go with nobody gets money from uh, tobacco companies anymore that'll that message will come across and also we need to on the slow art everybody i mean it's the artists need to do that i think the venues would like to do that so the things that are getting in our way as usual is is the man mentioned in the front is money and again i think we need to just pressurize that how do we how do we get the arts council to look at us that it's not just the amounts of shows we've done per year but the quality and the deeper engagement of that work uh, which could be to the same numbers of audiences it just doesn't need to be so quite so many pieces of work, perhaps. So the action point for that would be to promote slow art by making it about the quality yeah. rather than the quantity? Yeah, that. definitely. Um, who, would you re- who would you recommend? There we go. Go for it. Hi, um, my name's Mark Elliott. I'm from a, an organisation called Digital City. Um, we're a creative industries regeneration project, for want of a better word. Therefore, we don't get our money from the Arts Council, and we've always had to handle this um, what are you going to do about the environment business? And when that first question first came up, when we were talking about building a building, <coughs> we all looked at it and went, oh, my God, what do we do? And somebody said, "And you know, oh, don't worry, there's some policy bollocks you can write in there, and that nobody cares about it. And we, we actually took the opportunity to go, actually, why don't we just write three things we're going to do 
actually rather than write a policy, which no one ever does. And I think that might be something. And it kind of, kind of relates to your slow art. It's small art, small changes. Because, yes, you know, it's a huge issue. But if we all make lots of little changes, we start to change the, the environment or the environment we're working in. So we, we just wrote three things down we'd do, and we dropped the energy consumption of the building, the baseload, by 40%. What were your three things? Um, well, one, I had the opportunity... No, sorry, we, we reduced the baseload to 40% of a conventional building. One, we had the opportunity of building a building, so we decided to build <laughs> a building that had windows that opened, basically. We also decided to put some policies in place that suggested to the companies in the building that they might benefit by not doing certain things. No one uses lifts anymore. Um, the temperature of the building is three degrees lower than is recommended. People wear sweaters. It was really funny because the, the creative... Uh, in the, the cut, sorry, the commercial creative people inside the building kind of panic because they're T-shirt people. The fine artists all went, so... Because they all had jumpers on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, we go back to Alice. Um, I think it's really simple, actually. If you're just for your three strategic interventions, I would suggest that first of all, do an impact assessment, so that that becomes a condition of funding across the piece. Because there is nothing like understanding what your impacts might be, not just in terms of carbon, but also wider impacts. For example, in terms of the wood that you use on your sets to actually focus the mind, not just in terms of your overall ethical approach, but actually in terms of money. And so I think that the point raised about the amount of money that you can save just by being a, a canny about this, very simple. So that's about an impact assessment about your direct impacts and also your supply chain. Get to know your supply chain, that's one thing. The second thing that the Arts Council could foster is collaborating. There is masses of work going on in this space. It's, it's something that happened, it's past tense. So it's, it's actually knowledge transfer. It's about really facilitating what works, what doesn't, what, what is, is good practice in this, what's emerging practice, and what, um, what are the pioneers in the field. And the third thing is around our international context. We actually are not living just in one country here. It's how are we working across the international um, framework for this, and this is particularly true of Turing. Um, and the fact is, is that the UK is doing more about this than probably anywhere else in the world. How can we actually extend our influence beyond these shores? Thank you. I, I just, I've, I've been thinking about it a bit while I've sitting here, and I really like James's idea of, of, of you know, like a kind of a school of art, as it were, like a, a, a training and education that is actually building a kind of completely new set of practices. Uh, in relation to uh, you know the, the the change in environment, I think that's a really uh, lovely idea. I think that should be on a list somewhere. Um, Dan Thompson from the Empty Shops Network. Two things coming out of this. The first that really worries me is this this idea of adding extra bureaucracy and paperwork and more reports, because while I'm sure arts organisations can soak that up the individual artists that want to be applying for funding are going to find it harder and harder to carry out impact assessments and look at supply chains and those kind of things. I think that's a real worry for individual artists. The second is that um, Arts Council must fund the purchase of all sorts of things which arts organisations use for a very small amount of time. Um, do you, you know the statistic about a power drill? A power drill is used for... On average, the power, a power drill is used for 11 minutes in its entire life because it just sits there in a box. And 
how often has the Arts Council funded um, folding auditorium seating that's very rarely used or stage lighting that's not used all the time? Could the Arts Council find a way to encourage sharing of those resources that it funds so that they get more use by more organisations rather than just being owned by one organisation and scarcely used? Down front left. You want to do yeah, sorry. My name's Tony Lopez, I'm a poet. Um, I think these um, suggestions, we've already had many more suggestions than we need. Mm. And one of the strongest ones was to try and get people, um, you know, to make work um, w and really think of the challenge of making work without electricity. So why don't we just have a prize for it? A prize. A prize. Massive box of candles. Yeah. <laughs> a prize, a seriously a prize, so um, which could be funded. The These organisations have masses of money. So a prize that was worth winning for a piece of art or a performance uh, that didn't use electricity. Well, I, I, I say, why not electricity Because you, you have a Um, education. In, we don't have to care for educated people. We do have to care for about talented people. Find them a really um, better structure of work that he's doing. Just to build on the last comment from the gentleman there, it's the contamination theory which was spoken about earlier about how artists should, well, I think, uh, we should be out there contaminating the broader world because if the RSC recycles some stage sets in the big pitch, that makes no difference. But if we can take that out there, artists can transmit these, these ideas, show that it's fun, it's accessible, it's interesting, and it's possible that's something which we can do. Right. It's just a very quick one to pick up on the notion of prizes, that Nesta is setting up a um, centre for prizes, um, launching in April, um, because they want to examine the impact of... Um, uh, how, how the notion of competition and prizes can affect policy. Uh, as f that's how I understand it anyway. Um, but look out for, a, um, uh, look out for announcements. Um, they might be interested in putting up a prize for innovative <coughs> practice. The award-winning Nesta. I've no okay. idea. Um, the other thing is, is, about, is about collaborations. Um, I'm about to uh, set up a project uh, for the Cultural Olympiad um, using the canals, we're networking with um, Natural England, Sustrans, um, Wildlife Trusts, Groundworks, and so on. And, and we're, we're learning a lot from those kind of collaborations as well. Uh, that really is our time up. I, I don't know how we decide in three. Anyone get, yeah. get any ideas? Well, I think what was so interesting about Andy's um, uh, suggestions was that actually that's kind of triggered lots of thoughts. And I think it, it was just the fact that you had had a think about some ideas, you know. And I, I think it doesn't really matter if it's you decide to make a show without electricity, you decide to do some stuff without oil. It's all good, you know. I think it's... It, it's, it's about generating those ideas and, 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 and questioning the ways in which we make work. So I, I just wonder about, in terms of sharing some of this, whether we can't sort of j perhaps just share some of Andy's, Andy's six points um, and kind of... Sorry? Question the way we make work. Yeah. Yeah. And, but f I think the four examples are quite useful for people perhaps that haven't been in here. For example, maybe, maybe, maybe. 
and definitely, though, I, th I, ha I do think we ha it has to be on a public platform. The words Shell and BP need to be mentioned. It's been come up so many times today about where we take money from. And I don't think it's about preaching, don't do this, don't do that. I, I would preach that. But I think it's about big question marks about where we get our money from in terms of oil companies and, and, and then let people answer it for themselves. I, I think those are two, two big things for me. And also about um, Arts Council support in helping us frame these thoughts in, and perhaps in terms of what, what we say we're going to do and how we're accountable for what we've done. I think it's okay. I think it's okay if we have more than three. I mean, the Arts Council. The Arts Council didn't even want to have this uh, panel session, and uh, it should be the most important of all the panel sessions that are going on. So I, I think that point's worth making. And also, if we have more than three, then we've been more productive than we were asked to be. And the Arts Council loves that, right? So. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think it's fine to uh, to make a statement about the fact that this is a big uh, this is a big situation and it needs real centre stage attention. Um, and we don't need Ed Vasey boring on about digital for another ten minutes. We need people talking about BP and Shell and about climate change and not tacking it on at the end because of lobbying and, and brilliant lobbying by uh, arts organisations themselves, uh, basically. Um. Great. All right, I think that's that. Should we write down? Yeah. Yeah. Which ones do we want? Um, I think that, that question, the way we make work, as Sean said, which kind of encompasses that. I cannot. And I think that, that, that yeah, having some, someone... Some carabans. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the thing about, yeah, saying, you know, and really simple, not make work, uh, you know, not, not be supported by BP and Shell is a pretty simple and bold and... Uh, I uh, yeah, I definitely think question the way we make work, and I think to throw in what does that actually mean? just a, yeah exactly what does just, that mean that just a couple of examples so yeah. uh, for example could so, you could you make a show with this podcast is produced by Arts Council England for more content like this visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. <laughs>